0: As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the info's on our website, thedivorcesocial.com.
1: Planning for your next trip?
0: I am joined by Irene Fair, sex and intimacy coach. Welcome to The Divorce Club. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Um, So how does that feel when I say to you, you are divorced? Well, I've been divorced for 13 years, so it's been part of my reality for a while. And honestly, it's part of my identity, but in a positive way. I think I've gained so much experience through it, so much uh, self-learning. So I'm proud of it. Yay. I love that.
0: Self-learning, I'm, what, do you, what do you think you've uh, learned about yourself then through the experience?
2: Oh boy. Well, my marriage was short, but it was impactful in the sense that it left a lot of wounds and a lot of uh, experiences that I would have never thought I would end up having. And what I'm talking about is ending up in a sexless marriage losing my libido, ending up not wanting to have sex, not wanting to think about it, wanting to do everything to avoid it. And that experience led me on a journey to understand myself several years later. But right after the divorce, I thought I was asexual. I researched what that meant because I had absolutely no desire whatsoever. I would look at a man and I would have not, not not a tingle, not a, not, a, not a shift in my body, but just nothing. And at that time, I really, uh, in a way, I left the relationship feeling really bad about myself and thinking that I wasn't worthy of a good relationship. I thought it was broken as a woman. So that was the immediate learning. But it was a couple of years into living life asexually, thinking I don't, Want anything, I don't enjoy sex. That I went on a real self learning journey to really understand myself, to understand my sexuality, my body. And that's when I started to learn about really what my true needs are, what my desires are, and how I was conditioned to not speak up about what I needed and how much that conditioning is rooted in really not understanding, not knowing what women's sexuality is and what to expect from sex and around sexual desire in a long-term relationship. So that jump-started my whole career, which was amazing, Um, but it was a painful, painful journey getting there.
0: Yeah, so can you explain... That time at the end of your marriage, which you say you were in a sexless marriage, how did that
2: feel? Oh, wow. Uh, Frustrating, devastating, sad, anger-filled. I mean, it was, I, I, I experienced the whole range of emotions at the time. So much of that was because I took on the responsibility of sexual desire onto myself because I was the one who was experiencing painful sex. I was the one who had lost my desire. So I thought I was responsible and there was also shame. There was guilt. There was just the whole thing. It was absolutely, it was, it was, it was, it was painful. And it was devastating because I saw my relationship just go down the toilet as a result again of me of it being my fault my responsibility which ended up not being true but at that time that's what it what I saw what it looked like
0: and when you say painful sex do you mean physically painful because you didn't want to do it or do you mean emotionally well, both.
2: Well, certainly uh, physically, because that's how it started. Um, how it started for me and how it starts for so many women was that in the beginning, everything was exciting. Everything was new. I, we couldn't keep our hands up to each other. And I was the one with higher libido. I just wanted to have sex all the time. But then things started to shift and I started to lose lubrication, started to just not be able to get wet, went to the doctors. They said, well, just use lube. So we continued to have sex with lube, but the problem was also that I wasn't aroused internally. And so sex became painful at that time. Penetration was painful. It felt like he was bumping up against my cervix, which was excruciatingly painful. And then on top of the physical pain came the shame, came the confusion and the frustration of why can't I change this? What's happening to me? Of course, the fears. And so all of that snowballed into emotional pain. And then it was coupled, which is what I see with women all the time in my coaching practice is that it starts being physical, but it gets coupled with emotional pain. And then it's just a a runaway snowball, right? It's like, it's like starts as a snowball, but becomes an avalanche.
0: That sounds like
2: a lot to deal with.
0: Why do you think you put the responsibility on yourself for that? Why was it your fault that this was
2: happening? This is such an important question. And that's because in a way, that's what we're set up to believe. As as a world, we don't really understand or really get curious about what happens to sex in a long-term relationship. The picture of sex is how you have it in the beginning of the relationship where most couples, again, have that passion and excitement. and can't, can't, They can't keep their hands off each other. And sex feels easy. And it looks like her libido matches his because they're both really excited for each other. So that's what sex looks like. This is what it should be like. But there's something that happens in a long-term relationship that changes what that looks like. And it's usually the man's libido stays the same way. It's what's called spontaneous sexual desire or spontaneous libido, where his arousal and his wanting to have sex is not really dependent on external factors. He can wake up in the morning and be ready for sex, even though he's been sleeping the whole time. Whereas women's sexual desire is very dependent on the context and on the circumstances whether there is emotional connection, whether there's playfulness, whether there is uh, playful touch and exploration, whether there's time and space. And so in a relationship, you can't sustain that excitement in the beginning. Naturally, your relationship evolves into having more responsibilities, like moving in together, maintaining a home, balancing that and jobs and kids and pets and all the other things that you get involved in. And her libido starts to dip. And there's much less time for the playfulness. There's much less time for emotional connection. There's much less time for spending hours in bed, touching each other and exploring each other and giving each other central massages. And that is precisely what women need to continue having the libido at the same levels in the beginning of the relationship. But that's precisely the thing that goes away with responsibilities and resentments. And so going back to my relationship, all those things were happening. And it was my body that was started to be less responsive to sex with the, the loss of lubrication and the pain. And it was my needs for emotional connection and my needs for more unhurried physical touch and exploration and focus on my body and my arousal that were cut out. Because why? We got a dog. We got chickens. We got a house. We got all these amazing things in our relationship. You know, We were evolving. We didn't have children, but we were putting, adding all these other things into the relationship. But my needs as a woman kept getting cut out. But I didn't know that, so it looked like I was losing my libido while he looked absolutely normal. And this is the mistake that we make: is that we we don't understand all these other things happening in the background, and we just look at what happens to to the man and the woman, and he looks the same, and she looks like she's she's losing her libido. And so I fell into that trap, and there was there were no resources at the time to normalize this or to point to um, all the things that I needed to put back in the relationship, which I had in the beginning. So it was natural that I took on the responsibility. And this is what I see over and over in the couples that come to me, having gotten caught in the same cycles. She takes the blame. And oftentimes he blames her too. Look, I'm the same. There's something wrong with you. You, are, you you don't want sex. And this is common in, in really around the world because I work with couples in the US, in the UK, in Australia, in Europe. It looks the same exact way with all couples.
0: It's so interesting um, you saying all that because I've definitely heard that from you know people I know that that's happened. But I guess I'm the opposite. So at the end of my marriage... I wanted to have all the sex and it was him that had, I guess I have quite a creative, playful job. So I, even though I've always had responsibility, it's never affected my playful side because that's also what I do at work. Whereas he had a very normal job and he had more responsibility and there was definitely less of the playful side of him. And I've always had a high sex drive. And I think for me, sex is a a way of communicating intimacy. So I think almost as a reaction of my marriage sort of not going in the right direction, I was like, well, we just need to have more sex and then it'll be fine. Um, Do you you ever see that as well? Or am I just different?
2: Well, you're different and you're not different. And I I love hearing the different... Versions um, and the different ways that it plays out. You know, I thought I had a low libido, and so do so many women that I work with. But in truth, actually, I had a very high libido and my needs weren't being met. So it looked like I didn't have it and it died out, but it was actually that my libido was starved. And that's true for so many women. And I love hearing that you had the play element because that is so, so key. That sex is play. It's the way adults play. It's the way adults express, like you said, intimacy and love. And we have to create space for that. So I I love hearing that you were able to maintain that because of the way your career is and the way you can have that in your life. Um, Because this is key. But this dynamic, what you described that it didn't affect your sex or you didn't get affected in your sex life, but your partner did, that absolutely this happens to men as well. And that when there's so many responsibilities or where there's a draining job or when there's something that's preventing them from feeling connected to themselves, they too will experience a drop in libido.
0: I like that you said you still had a high libido it was still there but it was just like hidden i'm imagining your libido like you know like sleeping beauty in her castle and all the thorns grow over it <laughs> and then um you can come along and cut away the thorns and start having orgasms
2: <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> um so so take me back um if you will to where you were at the time? Because we talked about you being in a sexless marriage, but how long ago was this? Where were you in the world? And what was your job at the time? Because your job now is linked to that experience.
2: I got divorced 13 and a half years ago. So the marriage happened earlier than that. And I was in California in the US and we were both in grad school. That's how we met. And most of our relationship uh, most of our short relationship, it it was relatively short, um, was while we were both in graduate school. This was my, uh, late twenties. This was between 26 and 30. Okay. So had you had much
0: experience of kind of
2: sex in long-term relationships before that? No, no, I wasn't experienced. My, my husband wasn't experienced. And, what added to the trouble was that no one we knew was talking about sex. So I had never had a single conversation about sex with any of my girlfriends preceding this and neither has he. And we couldn't talk to our parents about it. We couldn't talk to our friends. So we were really isolated. We were on our own trying to figure this out with no resources And also no ability to talk about this, which just added to the frustration, to the pain, to the heartache around it.
0: Well, I was going to say, you know, because some people, I'm an oversharer, so I'm very open about everything. But I know, you know, some of my friends definitely would really struggle talking about any sort of sex, let alone difficulties with sex. And I know myself, You know, I don't think I opened up at that time when I felt like I had this really high sex libido and it wasn't being matched because, yeah, you feel like, oh, it's sort of private and it's sort of a failure. So should I be saying it out loud because will people kind of judge me or so it must have been really hard um, being in that situation And, and quite young still. And not having, you know, anywhere to turn. So you couldn't turn to friends at the time. So you said you looked it up. So did you turn to the Internet, do you think? Was information the thing that kind of helped?
2: Yes. And at that time, there wasn't all that much. So there was certainly still the, the popular venues such as Cosmo that talked about how to have excitement and pleasure in bed. And it was all about different positions or different ways that you please the man or different ways that you orgasm. And by the way, I couldn't orgasm at all. So that was another piece of, of the puzzle. I was not able to orgasm by myself. I was not able to orgasm with him and I really thought that I was broken that way as well. I was broken sexually because I couldn't do that. And so I, when I went to Cosmo and other news outlets like that, I was very discouraged because it talked about orgasm. I couldn't do that. I didn't particularly enjoy oral sex at the time. It was kind of like, okay, let me work myself up. Let me get ready. Let me do this. But it wasn't something that I was enjoying for myself. And so everything was pointing to things I I couldn't do or had to pretend to learn how to do or to learn how to pretend to do. And it was just, it was incredibly discouraging. I got a sex book and again, it was just completely discouraging. And I turned also to doctors because I wanted to have the physical aspect checked out. I went to the best hospitals and doctors and they looked at me and they said, well, there's nothing wrong with you. But they, so that was good. But at the same time, they also said things like, well, it's normal for women not to orgasm or it's normal for women to have pain during sex, which is advice that you still get a lot from doctors, including female doctors.
0: Wow, my jaw is on the floor, uh, by the way, listening to this, like, it, wh- whoa, that's a really dangerous narrative that medical professionals are giving out. And, you know, when you said you hadn't orgasmed with him or by this stage, I don't know how I would have got through life if I didn't have orgasms. So, I mean, congratulations for just still (laughs) being alive and not being a ball of stress about to explode. Um, I didn't say
2: I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's also that, um, so there's certainly the frustration, but it was also this sense of feeling dead inside that an orgasm absolutely is a release and it feels amazing that way, but it's also a connection to my sexuality. It's a connection to fuel in my body, like not, not just fuel, but like an engine in my body and not being connected to this engine felt like I was going through life on two out of three engines. So it wasn't just the orgasm itself, but the connection to sexuality, connection to pleasure, connection to be able to uh, access the state of surrender, this acts, this state of um, deep release, which I finally was able to do when I was 34 for the first time. Um, And yes, that, that was so limiting. I, 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 when I started to connect to my sexuality later, I was able to see that I was living life in black and white before. And then it became colorful. Not just because the sex was amazing, although that certainly was true, but but it was connecting to my own power inside, to my own femininity, to my own pleasure, to my own ability to surrender and really let go and really like just open up it's so interesting you
0: say that because definitely yeah for me I think orgasms are so linked to my confidence as well my sexuality is really linked to my confidence and I definitely I don't know you know when you're having good sex you just feel good about life whether it's with yourself or with a partner
2: Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your
1: primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat. All from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save ten percent on your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P.
0: Were you thirty-four the first time you had an orgasm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that feel
2: after all those years?
0: <laughs> was it like an extra big one?
2: <laughs> I was just going to say yes. It knocked me out. I remember. It was so strong and it took so long to, to get to it, but it was so strong that I think I took a a three hour nap afterwards. I was by myself. I was using a vibrator. I was, um, yeah. And I, it just knocked me out and I woke up. I was like, Whoa, what was that? I want more of that. Oh, my God. Before I was saying,
0: oh, I don't know how I could have got through without orgasms. But now I want that orgasm that gives me a three hour nap. Hello. Um, so for anyone listening who is maybe on a similar journey and hasn't orgasmed themselves, what advice would you give them to moving
2: towards that direction? What did you learn? That's a great one. Um Well, one is that your body is capable of orgasm. Orgasm is a peak of arousal in the body. And we can all are all capable of creating that kind of arousal and creating that kind of uh, that culmination, the, the, the peak, the, the climax. Um, So so much of it is just trusting that you can have it, that you are capable of it, that there's nothing broken with you. And there's very rarely anything really broken with women who can't orgasm. Like you know, very few real physical challenges create that inability. So for most women, again, it's really believing that you can have it. And then the second piece is it is it. it Getting to an orgasm requires you to understand your body. Certain, we all have different needs for reaching that high peak of arousal. That's the key piece. And I had no idea that for me, two things were really important. It was connection, someone paying exquisite attention to my body, exquisite attention to my clitoris. And it had it's the second piece was the the touch piece like i needed to be touched for long periods of time i needed to receive nourishment before even during the kind of the best sex that i was having before i was being touched on my clit for a minute two minutes what i started to understand about my body that I needed prolonged touch sensual touch on all of the whole genitals on all of the whole body but specifically the genitals and the clitoris and that created the the high levels of arousal that then allowed me to orgasm now yes i i learned or i had my first orgasm with a vibrator but it was really these other pieces that helped that happen because vibrator itself doesn't create connection i needed to have connection with a human being who's paying attention to me who's looking at me like i am a goddess like i am magic and who is helping create that turn on how did you then
0: bring this new information that you had um and and put it into play with a partner because you said So you broke up from the marriage. You believed you were asexual. You did lots of research on that. When did the orgasm come about? Was it at the beginning of your sexual awakening or along the journey?
2: It was along the journey and it was later. So for the the years following my divorce, I had completely shut down in shame. This was the time where I really believed that I was asexual and I had no attraction to anyone at all. And so that was a really bleak couple of years where, like I said earlier, I felt like I was living on, at that time, probably one out of three engines. Everything just felt so dark and gray and depressing. And I wasn't a depression because that experience of, of the, the marriage and the divorce and the, the loss of libido was devastating. Um, and at some point I got to rock bottom I was feeling so depressed. I was, well, my body started to give out completely. I started to have these mysterious illnesses that landed me in the hospital several times. I was hospitalized overnight. It was was just terrible and was one thing after another. And at the time, I was working in the corporate world, and my job was terrible. I was in a toxic environment. I was spending money. I was wasting money. I was making dumb decisions. It was just—it a year of hell. And at some point during that year, I realized I need to take some time off and figure out my life. So I took time off work and happened to um, happened on a women's retreat that had nothing to do with sex, but it was a women's personal growth retreat. And I went, it didn't cost much. It was just one night. You know, I was just low, low investment. And I went and I had a full spiritual awakening at that retreat. Um, I remember on Saturday, one of the coaches in the retreat had us, imagine a time when we were happy. It was like a very, very innocent exercise. And it was a very innocent question. Like imagine a time when you were happy. And I couldn't, like I had no memory of a happy moment in like the previous 10 years of my life. I had imagined being at the beach when I was very young. I didn't live at the beach when I was very young. The image that came up wasn't actually a real memory. But what it did was it awakened me to the 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 realization that I was not happy and I wasn't willing to see that. I just I I'm I'm a trooper. I keep going. I'm strong. I just I'm not, you know, I'm resilient. I've always been my whole life, but in that I really missed a moment when I re- to, to actually acknowledge that I was unhappy. And so that's what happened on Saturday and on Sunday. Another coach was doing another exercise, and she was saying how so many women hold it all together. We try to be strong. We have it, you know, all uh, put together. And I remember this this upwelling of anger in me, like. I am so fucking tired of holding it in. I'm tired of being, of being put together. I don't have anything together. I'm falling apart. My life is miserable, (laughs) but that actually broke this dam of numbness of suppression that actually was unhappy and that I was living a half life and that my life just felt so gray. And I, my sexuality was, was dead, all of that. It broke the dam. And so, that was my introduction to life coaching. <laughs> and I started working with those coaches at that retreat on starting to really understand what do I want? What's really important to me? What are my desires? Not what you know I should be doing, not the corporate jobs I should be aspiring to, but really, who the hell am I? What do I want? And just a couple of months into that journey, I realized, you know, relationships are really important to me. I come alive in relationships. I love being with another human being. It challenges me, it wakes me up, and sex is a huge piece. I had always known I'm very sexual. I, growing up as a young girl, I would dream about falling in love and making love. And I knew deep down I was very sexual. And so that awakened that. those needs and desires. And so that's when I went on on a sexual exploration journey. I hired a sex coach. And at first it looked like I need to fix myself. See, I was broken. Now I need, I realize I need to fix myself. So help me. But very quickly I realized there was nothing broken about me. There's nothing wrong. But I, like I said, I was, I didn't know myself. I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know how to ask for it. And what I really needed was a certain quality of connection, let's put it this way, exquisite quality of connection, emotional connection, and um, someone who was interested in exploring sex and sexuality in my body and spending time um, on my pleasure, which in previous experiences, like I said, men would spend a minute on my clitoris, and that wasn't enough. That wasn't... (laughs) That was simply not enough. I, I think it's important
0: to say as well, obviously you thought you were asexual and then it turns out you weren't, but that doesn't mean that other people's um, identifying as asexual isn't completely valid. Um, but this is just your journey that we're talking about. Um, so you have this awakening, you hired a sex coach. I love that. What does a sex coach do? Because you are now a sex and int- intimacy coach yourself, So what does a sex coach do and what do you think that coach you worked
2: with did to help you on your journey? What a sex coach does is that we facilitate the exploration of yourself, learning about yourself, understanding yourself and debunking myths that influence how we see ourselves or how we see our sexuality. And um, what that... Coach that I worked with did, and which is what I took away uh, into my own practice, is focusing on desire. That's the way out of any kind of stuck place where you're in. Um, If you're feeling stuck, if you're running in circles, if you feel really frustrated, desire is the way out. What is it that you want? What is it that you need? And I think that was one of the most valuable life lessons that I've ever gotten. Um, was focus on your desire. And so that coach, and again this is what I do with my clients had me focus on really like what, what are those things that I've been wanting that I was afraid to say or that I've been wanting but I believed I couldn't have and connect to those things. And of course, you know sex coaches do a lot of education and I do a lot of education about women's libido. I do a lot of education around, The dynamics in the long-term relationship. And it helps people start to realize that they're not broken, that they are that they're normal, they're like everyone else. And that starts to relax them and opens them up to more curiosity, more confidence, more availability to each other, um, or availability to getting out of their comfort zone and doing things differently. Um, But the biggest thing that a sex coach does is or what I do as a sex coach is that I hold my part, my client's hands as they go through this very mucky area, very confusing area of understanding themselves, understanding each other, making love and sex work. Um, We're not meant to do this alone. We're not meant to do so many things in life alone. And um, I hold their hand uh, through the education piece through when they take risks and they fall down and I'm there while they get up, I'm there cheering them on and championing them. Presumably not holding
0: their hand and cheering them on during the act.
2: No, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and in my Just case seconds. and in my case all the work that I do is over Zoom. So
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, what does a what does a sex coaching session look like? Is it like we're both masturbating on Zoom at each other, or is it like going to a counselor and just talking through stuff? Do you give them activities to do,
2: homework? Yep. So I work with clients for over a year. So um the initial engagement is is about a year. And that's because I take them on, on a journey. It's not just uh figuring things things out session by session, but I take them on a journey towards the results that they want. So they start by identifying what is it that they want as a couple, what do they want for their sex life or for single women? What do they want for themselves or a future relationship? And then I take them on a journey of self-discovery. And yes, it's just Zoom sessions, just like therapy sessions. We talk um, I also support them between sessions. Again, it's the, the hand-holding, supporting them as they, they take risks, as they do things. And um, there's a lot of education. So I, I show them slides and videos and recordings. Uh, I do not watch them having sex. Uh, I do uh, have them do touch exercises, but those are clothes on, kind of restrained to hands, arms, face, Um, But I give them exercises to do. I challenge couples to try different things on their own, learn, fail, bring back the failings and the the learnings and um, build on that. So
0: when did you just in this process of seeing a sex coach and, you know, going through your divorce and then, you know, realizing who you are sexually, when did the moment come where you thought I'm going to do this as a job now?
2: It was really early in the process because um, I started to get back in the game so to speak. I started to have uh, sexual relationships um, and I started to do them differently. I started to ask for what I wanted. I started to get the kind of connection and touch that I really needed and it was soon thereafter where something really clicked in me it's literally as if like a switch went on and I realized this is a different way to live. like I was mentioning earlier there was color in the, in the world all of a sudden there was this confidence in me that I didn't know I had I didn't feel like I was ever a confident person. I didn't feel like I was ever a sexy person and literally the lights went on in my body and I realized wow. I want other women to have this. I want other women to experience this aliveness, this confidence, this feeling that I'm unstoppable. And it was about the same time, too, that in my corporate job, uh, it was our annual review time, and I submitted my annual review, and there was an area where you could ask for a raise, and I asked for a raise, and it was just... at that like I didn't even realize how matter of factly I filled that out and how I asked for a raise, but I was the only one in the whole department to get the raise and to get a promotion. And it was because I asked for it and it was because of this work because that level of confidence made me feel like I could do anything.
0: I love that. Have good sex and you'll get a raise at work (laughs) they are directly linked I like it I'm my own boss so I could get a raise at any point (laughs) yes Um, absolutely but I'm absolutely not giving myself a raise um so did you ever you know through the divorce or during the breakup or even since have you ever had a conversation about this with your ex-husband no
2: no we've never never talked about this
0: and do you wish you could have a conversation or would you rather leave it and move on
2: absolutely i would love to have a conversation and to understand each other i think that was one of the things that happened as a result of all of this is that we grew apart we there we were in love and then we started to drift away from each other And that was really painful. We had these dreams of being together and spending the rest of our lives and then drifting apart. And yeah, I would love to have a conversation and just kind of have a window into what he was going through, share with him what I was going through, and for us to acknowledge the pain that we were both in. I don't know what pain he was in, but he was also shutting down in front of my eyes. He was pulling away. He was also frustrated and hurt. And I think that's one of the things that's really important to healing is just that acknowledgement that we were both hurting, that we were both confused, we were both had no idea what, what was happening. We didn't know how to fix it or how to deal with it. So, yeah, I think it would be an amazing conversation.
0: And do you think that those sexual issues you mentioned were the cause of your divorce or do you think it was that mixed with a lot of other things?
2: It was the trigger, but it wasn't the cause. And that's what I see now with my, with the couples that I work with very, very clearly the sex piece, the, the fact that I was losing my libido at the time was the trigger. It was the the piece, it was the wrench that, that uh, was thrown in. But it was our inability to talk about it. It was me taking it personally in, in, in one way and him taking it personally in a different way. It's us shutting away from each other. It's us um, getting frustrated but not knowing how to work through that. That's what caused the divorce. And again, that's what I see with the couples that I work with today is um, it's not knowing how to navigate challenging parts of our relationship that cause people to really draw away from each other and, and disconnect. So for some couples, it's sex. For other couples, it's something else. It could be a lot of different things that draw a couple apart but it's the ability to get through those times, an ability to, to get through in a connected way. So that's what ultimately broke us up.
0: And if there's someone listening now and they're in a relationship and they can relate to a lot of the things you've been saying, so maybe they feel that they're in a sexless marriage or that they've lost their libido or their partner has, Obviously, they should hire you. But if there's one, um, if there's one sort of activity that they could do to kind of start on that track with their partner, is there one thing you'd say? Try this and see what happens.
2: Well, I'll start with what I recommend that they not do, and that is trying different toys or different positions or trying something sexual, because that actually can create more frustration. Um, The first step is to actually get really vulnerable and honest with each other about the struggle that you're having. Not even the frustration, but the deeper struggle, the fears that you're having. You know, it's like, okay, I'm noticing I don't want sex and that scares me and I don't know what to do. I don't, that scares me to even tell you about this because you know i love you i i'm afraid that's going to hurt you get to this very vulnerable level of admitting what's happening because this is the starting point of the work whether you hire someone or not it's the starting point of the work between the couple starting to become vulnerable and honest about what's going on without the blame without trying to solve it, but naming the experience, naming how it makes you feel, naming the fears that come up, naming the desires and the frustration about not knowing how to fulfill those desires. That gets people to soften and to really connect. And once you're connected, that's when you can do anything together. When you're in the not even on the same page necessarily in terms of solutions, but like you're on the same page on the same emotional wavelength, you can do anything together.
0: I love that because people are like, spice it up, try something new if you're having problems. And yeah, you're totally right. It just, I remember trying new things once, this is before I was married, but we tried out food in the bedroom, which I'd never tried before. And so we melted some chocolate but we all we had in the house was a honeycomb chocolate orange and oh, then what? the honeycomb bits were still in it so it was like he was exfoliating me and it was not sexy um so yeah i can i think communication is always the answer isn't it um although it's one of the hardest things to do
2: and no amount of toys position foods anything external is going to solve the disconnect problem you have to tackle that first because after you you get the connection piece then oftentimes the toys don't matter yeah then the food
0: can follow yeah with no honeycomb is my advice
2: very good Um,
0: (laughs) you can take that irene take that advice for free into your sessions you're welcome (laughs) um thank you so much that's it's been so interesting i think um quite often people are nervous to talk about the sexual side of things. So it's lovely to have someone openly say clitoris and not whisper it. Um, Is there anything you get embarrassed about due to sex now?
2: Or are you immune? (laughs) Uh, It's not that I don't get embarrassed, but I can just laugh at it. That's the best part is that it, it, it doesn't shut me down anymore.
0: Amazing. So where can people find out, uh, where can people find out more about you and follow you online and things?
2: Well, my website is the, the biggest source of information about coaching, but also lots of free resources for people. I'm um, including a, a three part video training called how to want sex again. Um, and that's all on Irenefair.com. And it's F E H R. That's right. com. Yes. Amazing.
0: Well, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me and thank you for this this, uh, fun, vulnerable, and juicy conversation. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50,
1: luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus.
0: Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, it would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, but also it affects our listing in the podcast charts uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. and I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times and they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever you can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give you can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram, at DivorcePod, and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com, and we have a Patreon account, which means the use